You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Thank you, Amy. So let me set a little bit of context here for us in our, in our text for today. The author of the book of Philippians is a guy named Paul, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he's writing to an ancient church in a city called Philippi, and he's writing to encourage them. But we got to know a little bit about his situation. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, what's the this he's talking about? We need to know a little background, right? Well, the this of what he's talking about is the fact that he's writing this letter from a Roman prison cell. He has been placed in prison. And we know this because he's told us so earlier in chapter 1. And I won't show you that, but just know that it's there. He's told us that he's in prison, suffering for his faith. So the this is him referring to sitting in prison. That's the first thing I want you to see from our text for today. He's sitting in prison, but here's the deal. Check this out. He's not all that worried about himself. Did you see that in the text? Let's review it. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers, so he's writing to these Christians, that they're praying for him. They've probably heard about the fact that he's been put in prison. So he's heard that they're praying for him. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, me being put in prison for following Jesus, will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. So meaning like I won't back down for my faith. I won't be intimidated. I'll I'll speak the truth if I'm asked. I'll speak the truth maybe if I'm not even asked, right? That's what he means by I will not be ashamed. But, keep reading, but that with full courage, now as always, here's what he wants. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now think about that. Try try, try to place yourself imaginatively in the text, in Paul's situation. You're sitting in an ancient Roman prison. I I can imagine that the the circumstances, the the ambiance wasn't really delightful, right? Right? And the only thing that he's really 
worried about, passionate about, concerned about, focused on is what? He tells us that Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or death. That's what he's thinking about. That's what he's consumed with. It's like Paul is saying, I might die here in the next few hours, days, or weeks. I don't know. Prison life could lead to lots of different things for me. But even if they kill me, I just want Christ to be honored. That's what he's saying. You feel that? Like, who says that? Right? Like, who, who thinks that way? I, I imagine myself there probably feeling sorry for myself. I imagine myself there missing my family so much that it physically hurts. I imagine myself wondering if I'll ever see my grandkids. I imagine myself like, what about my career and my aspirations for life? My friends. See, that would be my my default setting if I'm honest, right? But Paul has a different value system. How does that happen? Well, it happens in verse 21. Paul has a different value system. His heart has been captured by a different affection. A different affection has ordered his heart. He has different values. He has different priorities. His value system is not the normal value system. And I want to submit this this morning. If we really want to understand the true nature of Christianity, we will listen with ears to hear about what Paul's about to say in verse 21. And pray that God, by his spirit, would do that same work in our hearts. So before we get there, let me ask you this. How would you define gain, the word gain, G-A-I-N? How would you define gain? Like we say that someone is gainfully employed. We say that we have gained weight, right? We say we've maybe gained a large sum of money. Look at verse 21. This is how Paul can say what he says in the preceding verses. He didn't care about himself. Christ being honored, that's what he cares about. Who says that? Well, he does. Here's why. The person who says and believes verse, 20, verse 21 is that kind of person. For to me, verse, 20, verse 21, for to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, see, if death is just some type of grand nothingness, like game over, your existence just is snuffed out, your consciousness just ceases, like powering down the computer, never to be turned on again. If that's what death is, then Paul wouldn't talk this way. In that sense, death would just be the ultimate horror, right? We've got a really hard time thinking about ourselves ceasing to exist, right? But Paul clearly states here that those are not his feelings. Paul says that death is the pathway to something. It's the pathway to gain. And gain is what he wants. So again, what does it mean to gain something? It means to receive something really good. It means 
something that's greatly to our advantage. It might mean profit. So we could easily translate verse 21 as, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is my great profit. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is to my great advantage. You ever heard someone talk like that? I mean, even as I'm saying it now, I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of weird. The point is this, if, if Christ is your ultimate treasure, then you're freed to not think about yourself all the time, even when you're sitting in prison. Paul's saying in essence here, I don't fear death. Death is just a, a pathway to my greatest good. God is my greatest good. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit is my greatest good. If I die, what I see dimly now, then I will see face to face. I will be completely satisfied beholding the glory of God for all eternity. So death, bring it on. You've got nothing on me, he says to death. Death is a pathway to my gain, my ultimate gain. Gain that makes money look silly. Gain that makes sex and relationships look silly. Gain that, that makes posturing for prestige and glory in this life just makes it look silly. So you, you see what Paul values here? See, he doesn't want to use Jesus to get these other things that he really wants. He just wants to see his Savior face to face and experience him for all eternity as his greatest good that you could ever conceive of. So, so you, you want help in fearing your enemies? You want help for anxiety? You want help for, for the prison of a constant self-focus? It's right here in verse 21. Ask yourself, along with Paul, how do I define true gain in life? For me, is it true? Is this true? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Can we say that with him? I mean, ask yourself that right now. Can we say that with him? Man, I, I believe that like so much of what torments us in this life would by and large just melt away if we really believed this verse and lived in light of it. So you can't touch a guy like this, right? You can't touch him. Paul's sitting in prison and he seems really confident. I mean, it kind of jumps out at the text, right? He doesn't seem that rattled. This is not like a woe is me kind of thing that I would be tempted to. See, that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for you. Christ is our all. Christ is our definition of gain. Jesus is what we're consumed with. He is our great pursuit. He is our great longing. He is our great pure and holy passion. Not his gifts, not a better marriage, not more obedient kids, not more raises at work, more sex, more affirmation, more likes on social media. Those things may or may not be good, depending on your perspective. 
But Christ is our all. Christ is our trust and our treasure. Christ is what we have, have to have or we have nothing. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? How can we maybe, how can we grow in that? Maybe some of you are considering this kind of perspective for the first time. Speaking of Jesus as your ultimate treasure and pursuit in life, for some of you it might just sound kind of odd. Well, let's continue to see how Paul fleshes this out. He is a bit conflicted. We could, we could grant him that. Let, let's look at what he continues to write here in verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, meaning if I keep on living in this physical body, that means fruitful labor for me. He's going to continue on the mission that God has given him to plant churches and make disciples all over the ancient Middle East. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So I'm kind of conflicted. I'm hard-pressed between the two. That's, what, that's the conflict. Check it out. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. There it is. There's the gain. To depart and be with the ultimate object of my affections. For that is far better. So on the one hand, I want to stay and invest in, in churches like the one I planted in Philippi. At the same time, that's good, but it's not as good as being with Jesus. He desires to be with Jesus. What does he say? With that which is far better. Not just a little better, not just medium better. No, it's far better. Feel his passion there? But let's ask ourselves, is it really, I mean, really be honest with yourself. Is it far better to be with Christ? Do we believe that? Let's honestly ask ourselves that this morning. We, we got so many great, I mean, I do, so many great things in this world that we love that aren't bad things. I mean, 1 Timothy 4 says, God has created all things for us to enjoy as long as we can do it with thanksgiving. There's lots that we experience in this life that we should be thankful to God for, for giving us as good gifts. Just taking a walk out on a beautiful day like today. That's a good thing. Be thankful for that. So many things in this world that we love, our kids, our friends, our homes, our city, our ability to travel, see new places and things, sports, entertainment, hobbies, all these things bring us joy. But how can we grow in this biblical perspective that those things are not bad, but they're just simply not ultimate? Those are good things. They just can never be God things, right? It's not worthy of ultimate attention and affection. Like how can we grow in seeing fellowship with the living God for all eternity as being our ultimate definition of, of gain? Here's the question. How can we start to veer towards what Paul is saying here and start to grow in having his mindset where nothing can touch us because not even death poses a threat to our security? Can you imagine that perspective? Isn't that beautiful? In fact, death secures our deepest desires being fulfilled. 
Well, let's, let's look at how Paul talks about this some more. He gives us a window a little later in the book. He gives us a little window into how this mindset was created in his heart. Okay? So if, you're, if you have a paper Bible, flip over maybe a page to chapter 3. And if you've got a digital one, just scroll down to chapter 3. Starting in verse 8, I want to show you how I feel like I'm convinced how this perspective was created in his heart. Where does this come from? He tells us, I think. Chapter 3, verse 8. So he just got done rattling off. I won't read it to you. He's rattled off his religious resume. So Paul, in a former life, was kind of a religious go-getter in Judaism. And he worked really, really hard to prove himself and that he was a good, faithful Jew. Okay? And then he gets to verse 8, and he basically says this in reference to what he just got done saying. Basically, he says this in reference to his spiritual resume, all that he's accomplished. He says this, indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. So all that old stuff, my old resume, you can burn it. It, it's worthless compared to this. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And here it is. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. My contention this morning is that Christ will become greater in our vision and in our passion and probably move more towards a primary focus for us when we look at this text and see how it works for Paul. So remember, remember the question we're trying to answer here. How is it that Paul could have this value, valuing of Christ that looms so large that even when sitting in prison, he can say that he cares most about is not himself but Christ. Even if death comes, death is gain because he gets Christ. How can we get that heart? Well, Paul gives us a window here in chapter 3. He tells us. He says in verse 8 and 9 that everything is lost. That's the opposite of what Paul's saying about gain. Okay? All this other stuff, you can have it. All these things that I've sought to achieve in this life, you can have it. All this proving of myself that I'm a, a faithful Jew that's really got my act together in terms of the Old Testament, you can have it. They're meaningless compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus. What does he say? And being found in him, being united to him by faith. Christ is the ultimate gain. In order, end of verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. There he says that word again. So how did Paul arrive at this ironclad perspective? He tells us. Look at it where it says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. This is, this is key. This is kind of, if you're new to your Bible, this might sound like some weird terminology. The law, righteousness. So we got to unpack this a little bit. What does that mean? What is he getting at? Righteousness of my own that comes from the law 
means that Paul knew the commands of God. He knew the requirements of God. All of these things. And he wanted to prove to God and others that he was able to do those things. All in his own will and his own power. Okay? And after he met Jesus, Jesus showed him that that's never going to work. It's not about your efforts, but it's about my grace. That's not God. Your effort is not God's plan of salvation. You can't make yourself righteous. You'll never make it. God has to give you righteousness, right? God has to give you righteousness, not as something you earn, but as a gift, okay? And he has in the good news of the gospel, Christ's righteousness given to us as a gift when he died for our sin, took that on himself, and when we come to him in trust and treasure him, we are just simply given the perfection or righteousness of Christ, credit to us based on nothing that we do, not works, but God's grace. Okay, so what does that mean for Paul and for us? What that means for Paul and for us is that you can get off the treadmill of trying to prove yourself. See, so many of us, myself included, we're so tired of constantly trying to prove ourselves at work. If you're single, maybe prove that you're worthy to be married. Prove yourself in relationships. And ultimately trying to prove yourself to God. See, Paul's discovered that's not how this works. If what Jesus said about himself is true, and it is, then we simply lay down our efforts to save ourselves by what we do, and then we rest in the one who said, it's done. It's finished. You got nothing to prove. You got nothing to prove. Did you believe that? Do you believe that what Jesus did for you really paid it all and that you can't do a thing to atone for your own sin because Jesus atoned for it himself in dying for you? So if the answer is yes, that he's given you a righteousness that you didn't earn, that you didn't prove that you deserved for your effort, like Paul's talking about, Then, then you're able then to do what, Paul, what I believe Paul did, what Paul experienced, where you look at that news and you're just amazed at it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? And then God becomes huge in your vision and in your desires and in your affections, right? Jesus looks at you and says, I know you're so tired from trying to prove yourself constantly. Hey, it's okay. Get off the treadmill. It's not necessary anymore. See, if you're dying of exhaustion and Jesus comes to you and says, take a break. In fact, take a lifelong break. You don't have to work out anymore to prove yourself worthy. Like, I, I got it. I did it. You can burn the treadmill. That's over. See, if that happens to you in your experience and he looks you in the eye and he says that, 
Doesn't that bring deep, deep, deep joy and desire to be with him? You see that? See how we're kind of landing the plane here? How we're coming full circle? Why, why, why Jesus, would, or I'm sorry, where Paul would just want to be with Jesus? Where, where death is just a pathway to get what I ultimately want? I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with my Savior. Like he looks at you and says, you can get off the treadmill. And you're like, thank you. I was dying. And you brought me relief. See, Paul's saying that's happened to him. And now he just wants more of Jesus. And less of his efforts to prove himself. See, when you see what God has done in Christ for us, how could we not see him as ultimate gain? And want to be with him forever. Not God as a means to my end. Like that, that's a great question for us. Do we view God as a means to our end of whatever? Like, like I'll, I'll follow Jesus if he gives me a better marriage. Jesus, you got some tips for me about my marriage? I'll take some of that. God, you got some biblical principles for my, make my business better? Yeah, I mean, if you give me some of that, I'll, I'll follow you. That's just making God a means to our end. Because then we see what we really count as gain, better marriage, better business, or whatever. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is I love God. And based on what he's done for me, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in sending Jesus, the Son, to die in my place, he is my all. And, and I can get off this treadmill of good deeds that I've been climbing either, either really consciously or unconsciously. And, and, and the, just the relief of that consumes my heart and causes me to be thankful so that I want to follow him. Like that's biblical Christianity. That's the work that the Holy Spirit has to do in us as we come to him and repent of our sin and trust him. God is never a means to our end. God is your gain. God is your gain. See, when you see, when you really see what has happened to you by Jesus' work for you, even if you're sitting in a prison cell, Christ being honored, not worrying about yourself, that starts to make a lot of sense. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us bring this about, would you help us have this perspective? Would you help us, by the power of your spirit, working through your word, make this who we are as a church, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.